1: Hello, boys and girls. Welcome in to Week Five, FCS Speculators, a betting podcast. Ryan Tutel, Golden Juanes, our producer David Graf, all on hand with you for uh, another great week, a big week. Hashtag College Game Day, FCS or whatever it was. Uh, obviously successful as College Game Day heading to Brookings south dakota for one verse three the north dakota state bison And South Dakota State Jackrabbits pumped up about that. We're going to talk a lot about that game, that matchup, and everything surrounding it. Uh, But let's start, as we do each week, with a look back at the top 10 in the FCS this past weekend, how the teams fared, how they did both uh, in terms of the result of the game, and how they did against the spread, which, of course, is the point of all of this, isn't it? North Dakota State uh, won over Missouri State last week, 22-0. They were a 48. Two-point favorite in that football game, <laughs> and they did not cover. Uh, in fact, didn't come close, but they obviously won handily. They're 7-0. They're the number one team in the nation. James Madison beat William & Mary 38-10. They win by 28. They covered a 21 21- Point spread uh, both those first two games by the way went under the total james madison six one and one on the year against the number very nice work out of james madison they play thousand this week this week south dakota state uh, they beat indiana state 42 23 they did not cover the 21 points that game went over uh, they came close to covering i mean they, what 19 points they won by so the number was just about right on that game Uh, but neither South Dakota State nor North Dakota State covered but they play each other. They're both uh, well they're 13 and 1 collectively and uh, this is the game of the year in uh, FCS college football in Brookings, South Dakota. I can't wait for this thing. It's going to be a blast. Uh, Weber State they uh, covered a 15 and a half point spread, but not the way we thought. 5128. 28. Coulter, what in the world? What, 350 yards rushing out of Weber State? Something like that? More like 451 yards. To- yeah, for the total. Josh for the Davis team. had
0: 328 yards rushing, which was the highest total in the Big Sky Conference and the FCS this season. But Chris Jackson, who's actually Weber State's third-string running back, also rushed for 111 yards and three touchdowns. So Weber State, 59 carries for 445
1: yards, seven rushing touchdowns, 7.5 yards per carry on 60 rushes. It's a solid win. Uh, were State fifty one twenty eight setting up a what we thought was going to be a giant matchup, still a big matchup, but but uh, not as big as it once was against UC Davis in Davis, California. That game next week uh, for were State. By the way, again, they did cover the fifteen and a half point spread on that. Villanova, number five team in the nation, they had a bye last week. They play Stony Brook this week. Kennesaw State, number six in the nation. 55-10 at Presbyterian covered the 38point spread that game went over they play North Alabama Sacramento State they are the only undefeated team against the number in the top 10 right now six and0 against the spread just barely covered their uh, two and a half point underdog status beating Montana by hello 27. Good Lord, the beatdown that Sacramento put on the Grizzlies on Saturday. Uh, every way you could do it, they did it. And they've done it now, well, basically every week this season, every FCS opponent this season. They're 6-0 against the spread. They play Cal Poly this week. Sacramento State is just straight rolling. Illinois State. 28 14 winner at Western Illinois they did not cover the 16 and a half point favor uh, a number that they had one winning by two touchdowns that game also did go under the number uh just a, what 42 point total there they play Indiana State this week does Illinois State Montana State had a bye they are at North Dakota uh, and Montana Lost and lost badly. The worst loss, well, the only loss of any team in the top 10. They dropped from 5 to 10, uh, but they're still in the top 10, losing to Sacramento State 49-22. Needless to say, did not cover the spread. What did I say?
2: Four teams in the top 10 lost last week, including Montana.
1: Mm. They're the only team that lost in the top 10 that's still in the top 10. That's correct. That's uh, what I meant to say. Yeah, sorry. Don't want to mislead you. Because Furman... Lost to Citadel, who they were an 18-point favorite over. Nichols, also the number nine team in the nation, lost. They're now 15. And North Carolina a they lost. They were number 10. They're now 18. So there's the three other teams in the top 10 that lost. They are now out of the top 10. So there you go. Quick rundown of the uh, top 10 last week uh, and against the number and set you up for this week heading into it. Uh, in the Big Sky Conference, which is where we tend to focus a lot of our time, Sacramento State 5-2. and two. Uh, overall, as is Weber State, and 3-0 and in conference. Those two teams obviously tied for the top perch in the Big Sky conference with Montana and Montana State suffering losses to Sacramento State. Not often you can say that one team is coming off a loss, that two teams are coming off a loss to the same team, but such is the case because Montana State lost two weeks ago to Sacramento State, then had a bye, and during that bye week, Montana lost to Sacramento State. And by the way, loss is the kind way to say it. I mean, they got flat-out battered crushed by Sacramento State, Uh, and uh, it's it's embarrassing, man, these these two teams, the six and five teams in the nation respectively at the time of those games, and they lose by collectively 50 points. Damn near. I mean, it was just unbelievable what Sacramento State did to them. The coaches to the coaches, the players to the players, and every other way. Okay, I'm off my horse on that. <laughs> Nonetheless, Montana, <laughs> Montana State, both 5-2, and two, both 2-1 two and one in conference, and both by the way, just fine. I mean, they're hit four Big Sky teams in the top 10 culture. Uh, four, seven, nine, and ten. All Big Sky conference teams. Uh, still still pretty good, and this is so interesting because Eastern Washington is just outside of the top 10. They're playing Montana. North Dakota, who is not in the Big Sky Conference but is playing a Big Sky Conference set schedule is just outside the top 25. Did I say outside the top 10? Outside the top 25 for Eastern Washington and for North Dakota. If they were to beat Montana and Montana State this weekend, Montana and Montana State would still both be ranked, and probably in the low teens somewhere. Eastern Washington and North Dakota would both become ranked. Yep. And if UC Davis was able to win against Weber, Yep both those teams would be right you could have six big sky teams and north dakota potentially all ranked if the if the chips fell right this weekend for the big sky conference now i don't know if that's what the big sky wants because they'd have a a a plethora of teams in like the 15 to 25 range and one or two teams maybe in the top top 10 but it's a sort of an interesting state of affairs
0: if portland state wins at northern arizona they would likely be close to, if not in. in the top 25, mm-hmm. as well. They would be in my top 25, I'll tell you that. Right. It's an interesting point because... But the conference wouldn't necessarily be the better for that, right? Well, it, it that's, that's a good debate because last year was the first year that the Big Sky received three seeds. There's only been eight seeded teams since the playoffs expanded to 24 teams a couple years ago. But last year was the first year the Big Sky got three of those. That's obviously the goal, except for then if you get the what was it last year? Was it the three at six or the two seven? it was either three, six, two seven, the Eastern Washington UC Davis and UC DC playing. They, they, guy, played and they had to other. play each other. Right. So even if you do get the three seeds, then you're still gonna have one team cannibalize another big sky team. So maybe I mean it, in that scenario, only two teams are getting into the final eight anyways. Right. And
1: the whole goal is to have two teams in the final eight or final four. I mean, what good does it do you if you get, say you get six teams into the tournament and four of them lose in the first game, you know, that they play? It's just, and it's sort of like, okay, well, so what? Exactly. Um, Offensive players of the week. Uh, there's a co a split situation in the Big Sky Conference this week. Kevin Thompson, who was responsible for six total touchdowns and over 400 total yards against Montana, is the stats national offensive player of the week. He's also the co Big Sky Conference uh, offensive player of the week because Josh Davis, the aforementioned, who went for 328 yards uh, in uh, in the Weber State game against Northern Arizona, uh, how are you not going to give a guy an offensive award who goes for over 300 yards? rushing in a football game. So they split the offense the conference offensive award.
2: Didn't the Big Sky have four teams in the playoff last year?
0: Yeah, three they got seeds though. Okay. So you
1: got
2: to explain the seeding.
1: Three in the top 8. There's 8 seeds in the playoff that get a bye. So they call them the seeds and then the uh, other 16 teams play in a first round game. The winners of those go on the road in order of uh, the bracket from 8 to 1.
2: So like the college world series
0: sort of Montessa got a first round home game last year against Incarnate Word and they have got the sweet reward of going to play North Dakota State in Fargo.
1: Mhm. Maybe like the college world series. I don't know the college world series. The
2: college world series you have 16 one. host teams and they're the ones that are ranked.
1: Okay, sort of like cuz there's 64 teams total and four right. teams go there. So it's not exactly like that, but it's 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 sort of like that in half almost. Yeah. Okay. Because you know wouldn't have a four team round robin like you would, but if you if you Think about twenty four teams going, but the first round is just the seeds nine through fifteen playing seeds sixteen through twenty four or whatever. The winners play, the winner play one through eight after who've just had a bye. That makes sense. Okay. Um Defensive Player of the Week in the Big Sky Conference, Lloyd Hightower out of Idaho, Idaho, not just winning, but beating down Idaho State, payback for last year's Idaho-Idaho uh, State game, and Idaho hammering the Bengals of this weekend. And Lloyd Hightower, who had a huge win, uh, had a 45-yard pick six in the first half that got uh, Idaho up to 14-0 in that football game. He also added another touchdown in the fourth quarter when he had a fumble recovery for 49 yards. How about this guy? Two touchdowns, a to le- what, 94, 95 yards, 96 yards, whatever it is, uh, between the returns? Impressive work by uh, Hightower.
2: Is that rivalry game really called the Battle of the Domes? It is.
1: Yes, it is. That's pretty sad.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you ever been to Southern Idaho? <laughs> <laughs> I've been many times, yeah. Very sad. I think that's why you describe it. The thing about it is, though,
1: almost no one that lives in Southern Idaho is sad. They actually all love it. People in Idaho have a great deal of pride for the state of Idaho. They certainly do, and only one license plate. Famous potatoes. Uh, Devin Madarios is your uh, special teams player of the week from Sac State. He is the kicker for Sacramento State. He had nine kickoffs for an average of 61.1 yards per kick. Five of those nine resulting in touchbacks. First of all, all you need to know is that he had, hello, nine kickoffs in a football game.
0: Also, didn't let Malik Flowers really touch the ball. Right. Which is key when you're playing Montana.
1: It's also 5-for-5 five five PATs and 2-for-2 two two in field goals. Uh, so congratulations to Devin Medeiros from uh, Sacramento State there.
0: I thought it was really weird and fascinating that only two teams, nominate, three teams, including Sac State, nominated players for the Special Teams Award this week. Mm. Like a lot of teams, Montana, Montana State, they did not nominate anybody.
1: I mean, I don't think that Bobby Houck would be content if the Waterboy got Water Boy of the Week Award after... What happened? I think it would be hard for Montana State to register somebody for uh, player of the week during a bye, also. Just my thought. Right. Easter Washington out a bye as well. I'm funny. You know, that's the thing you got to remember about this. Podcast. If
2: someone wins player of the week on a bye, automatic number one overall NFL draft. Sit
1: Right there. Sit. Give it to him. Yeah, it was a horrendous week last week. I know this for sure.
2: I'm sorry to anybody who followed any of these picks.
0: They're we're, not here to must, be followed. We must say, don't follow our picks. We're only here for entertainment. These guys are the mush. I don't Bade know what that every means. one of these picks. I always wanted to be the juice.
2: Fade every one of these picks. So first game, North Dakota beat Cal Poly 30-26 to 26 as a one-point favorite. Both Ryan and Coulter were on Cal Poly plus one.
1: Excellent. Good start. Loser.
2: Then they both thought that UC Davis would roll. Southern Utah has 14-point favorites. UC Davis 133
1: 25 UC Davis did win but did not cover. That was your lock of the week. It did not hit.
0: Demario Warren covering a spread against his alma mater. So Utah got, head
1: coach played at UC Davis. Mm-hmm. Then we
2: got, they still didn't win the game. So I don't think coaches take solace in covering spreads.
1: Depends. If he's a coach that's not following the NCAA regulations, I mean, right. if
2: it's Lane Kiffin, right, a different story. Yes. But so then we have Portland State was minus ten and a half against Northern Colorado. They won 38-30. Ryan and Coulter were both on laying the ten and a
1: half. It was an eight-point game. Brutal. Oh for three.
2: Then you guys. I oh, said
0: I did well. I thought you did, and then I really looked at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I watch all these games and I realize when I'm losing every single one of them.
2: <laughs> At least you both guys, both of you picked the over on that game.
1: That's good.
2: Then you thought that NAU would hang tight with Weber State because of their offense didn't see how Weber State would score. Weber State scored 51 28, covered 15 and a half. Shame.
0: Weber State, uh, narrative of them not being able to score needs to go out the window. They are averaging 30 points per game, and that's with a shutout against San Diego State where they scored zero points and a 13-point performance against Nevada. So if you look at just FCS opponents, they've scored at least 29 points in all five of those games, including 41 against Cal Poly, 41 against Idaho, 51 against Northern Arizona. The narrative that Weber State cannot score is incorrect. Well, you're the one perpetuating it. I was just telling the people that we now have a new sample size. He just unperpetuated
1: it. What's next? We'll see.
2: Um, Next, you guys are both on Idaho State minus six and a half.
1: God almighty. What happened? What
2: Ryan, happened? Ryan, Three defensive touchdowns? Ryan was tearing up back as Matt Strzok was throwing
1: pick, pick sixes. sixes. I mean, it's just, it's just completely... Bizarre.
0: Well, I mean, the other thing that we got to remind the listeners there's a few things, you know, Weber State, they can score better than you think. Idaho is a 100% utterly different team at home.
3: They
1: I, did win. They I won. Mean, Idaho what was, was the had, final of that game.
0: It was 45 21, Idaho. Good Lord. I mean, at home right now, Idaho is 3 and 1, the one loss being a six point loss to Weber State.
2: All right. Last game, you guys both picked Montana minus two and a half. We all know
1: how that went. So you're, what you're saying is there's not a winner in the bunch.
2: So against the spread, owned six in the big sky. Excellent. It, on the bright side, if you were following the totals, Ryan went four and one, Culture three and two.
1: Well, of course, that's what we're here for is the over-under. Uh and with that in mind, let's give them our locks of the week this week. By the way, my lock of the then, week was the Idaho State game, which did not come close. And uh, so I am now three and one in my locks. There's still still more picks to go. Okay, yes, FCS national. This yeah, is in the
2: national games, Coulter went two and two. Ryan went one and three. Got a dub. Coulter <laughs> Coulter was on Sam Houston State minus three, and they shut out Nichols seventeen to nothing then best
0: Coul- defense of the country. Mhm. According Southern to
2: State. Josh Criswell, who who will be back again this week to help us break down Sam Houston State versus Central Arkansas. Good game. Then we have Coulter who was on Citadel plus 18. Citadel again, one outright 27-10. Huge upset. I
1: Ooh. mean, that's like 35 point swing between their what the 18 point underdog to a 17 point win.
2: You were on the money line plus five eighty. You're eating good.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I'm eating good always.
2: Isn't Dude. Tuesday your fasting day? It, it,
1: it was
0: before I had to sit in a sauna for six
1: hours. That, that was makes a guy hungrier choice. than sitting in a sauna. That's been my impression. <laughs>
2: yeah, just looking at naked dudes makes him hungry. Mm, I guess.
1: Mm. Where, Where are
0: I, the naked dudes at? I don't get in the, the sauna. Ah. You ever been in a sauna you guys' jokes aren't funny
2: you ever been in a sauna i have
0: naked in fact
2: yeah so you're already picturing it you're just picturing ryan in his underwear over there
0: at best well that's how i perform so well yes every day
2: he blacks out every day
0: interesting use of the word perform Um,
2: (laughs) then you guys were both on new hampshire minus one and a half delaware 116
1: to 10 oh the blue hens
0: Interestingly, the anomalous blue hens.
2: Interestingly, our uh, our experts all all lost too. So that that's brutal. And I also (laughs) incorrectly said that Delaware's QB is Joe Flacco's brother. He's actually the quarterback at Towson. Yes. Who plays James Madison this week? Okay. Okay. That's my bad. That's my bad. I still said plus one and a half. You got to take it with a Flacco on board. They covered. Um and then the the matchup that you're all w- dying to hear about. Yes. Bloomsburg East Stroudsburg Coulter said lay the 11 for East Stroudsburg at home. Idiot. On their homecoming. Idiot. Bloomsburg comes in, Woo- ruins the party. Whoo- ruins the party. 22-17. Let's,
1: let's go Bloomsburg. That's to, what it's all about. Two tells only win between two schools he's never heard of.
2: Yeah, just blind faith. Strong. Indicative
1: that. Uh, well, we'll leave it at
2: that. That was literally Ryan's only win of the weekend because in the FBS games, he was on Penn State minus nine, loss. They won twenty eight twenty one, didn't cover though. Seven points. Then he was Michigan. on. He was on Washington, broke broke his heart. Should have covered. Should have covered. Lost 31 Is that a
1: three point game? Yeah. Golly.
2: Yep. Then he uh, tried to cheer me up by taking Arizona State plus fourteen.
1: Arizona State looked like a block of ice just sitting there, melting. Uh, it was just a horrendous, awful, awful. That was the worst FBS game I've watched this year. I, Utah, I was on and the Arizona verge of State. Tears. Just terrible football. Just brutal. The Devils of the Sun cannot play in the rain.
0: It's just so funny that the Pac-12 has just like completely lost its national reputation in both football and men's basketball and how at least the the reputation was becoming eroded in both sports when everybody was playing nothing but offense in both sports and now everybody's trying to play defense and it ironically makes it look even worse. Yes. If you're going to give me a bunch of Pac-12 teams that are only fighting for the geico.com bowl or whatever you guys love
2: well, well, at least the Rose Bowl, at least called them.
0: the Granddaddy of a all. Oh, I'm into the, the Rose best bowl. bowl game oh, bro, on the bro, planet. you don't gotta sell me on the Rose Bowl. I am into the Rose Bowl. First First of I'm all, just into no bowls that happened before January one. The Rose Bowl is not better. You know than what? Than
2: you New know Mexico what bowls bowl. happened before January one? The, the money playoff bowls. bowls. The playoff bowls are on New Year's Eve, oh, buddy. My this year.
0: This I've never been
1: awake to remember. I. I I've, are you ever awake? I have gone on some on some real epic rants about the scheduling for the college football quote playoff, um, and I've I'm prepared to do it again. The idea that they would have this on New Year's Eve, every single person who is an administrator with the college football playoff should be put in jail, prison, <laughs> federal penitentiary. A lot of people that are worth institutionalizing before those people, no doubt just because there's other people higher on the list doesn't mean (laughs) that these people aren't also on the list. It's a long list. Let's get into uh, this week. Obviously, uh, going zero for the week last week means we will hit 100% this week to even it back out. It's all mathematical odds. lot of averages. Uh, So, uh, pay close attention. Portland State at Northern Arizona, the Vikings of the state of Portland are a two-and-a-half point favorite on the road at NAU. Uh, this is a tough game uh, for me in a lot of ways, Colder, because I think Portland State is the better team. Northern Arizona has proven, you know, you talked about the new narrative about Weaver State being able to score, but also Northern Arizona has proven that anybody that plays them can score. 39 points per game is what they're giving up. So... But also Northern Arizona at home, and I'm not – I mean, I like Portland State, and, you know, you and I are both so biased because, you know, we just want to carry Bruce Barham around on our shoulders, figuratively uh, speaking, because we just think he's just, you know, well, he's the greatest interview in college football. So that, you know, there's that sauce. but I'm not sure I'm prepared to (laughs) – Just go, yeah, Portland State. Like let's let's go let's go Portland State on NAU on the road as a road favorite. I mean, that's tough. You go up there seven thousand feet. You've always talked about there's uh, you know, all the ghosts in the dome up there in Flagstaff. Uh it's a weird place to play and and this game, I don't I don't have a good feel for this matchup at all. It's a tough
0: one to pick because NAU is a hard place to play at. Um, I mean, this game is gonna come down to if Case Cookus can find a rhythm or not against Portland State's flex defense because as we found, there's really no middle ground with the flex defense that Portland State runs. They either got you flustered from beginning to end and you look terrible, or if you stay one step ahead of them, you can gash them like Idaho State did and all of a sudden you score 59 points. But on the other side, this comes down to don't look now, but Portland State has one of the sneaky rushing attacks in the conference. I mean, They're averaging 215 yards per game on the ground. And NAU, as we've seen, cannot stop the run, especially against the run-heavy teams. I mean, NAU gave up 49 points, including 35 in the second half to Montana State. Montana State, I don't think anybody would call an offensive juggernaut, although they are excellent at running the football. And Weber State, again, not an offensive juggernaut, scored 51 and rushed for 445 yards. So NAU has given up in their two games, Games that are similar to an opponent like Portland State has given up almost 800 yards rushing. It's a bad omen when you talk about you hired a FBS defensive coordinator and Chris Ball to be your dude, and you're giving up 39 points and 220 yards per game on the ground. It's not not good for any of you. But if Case Cookers can't find a rhythm, that Portland State defense is vulnerable to guys that can throw the ball down the field, just like Matt Struck showed when Idaho State thrashed Portland State. So it is. It's a it's a tough game to pick because walk up Skydome, weird stuff, always. And can Cookies find a rhythm? And in turn, how does that affect how Portland State operates on offense, too? Because if Cookies hits a few shots here, then can Portland State go to the ground early and often? That's what happened to him against Idaho State. They got It got away from them. They had, they're down three scores early, and these teams that prioritize the run so much, Portland State, Weaver State, Montana State, when they're down three scores, it's really hard to
1: operate on offense. So it is. It's, it, this is a really tough game to pick. I am going to pick Portland State, two and a half point favorite on the road at Northern Arizona. I think that Portland State, just as a team, has been very solid this year, and I think there is as much as I like Case Cook as the player, and you don't know that Northern Arizona can score. They have not been they've not been good enough defensively for me to to, to roll with them, and. Can I say I, I think Portland State has just played better you know in the, in the sample size now of seven games of this season in the main Portland State's been the better of these two teams so I'll take Portland State to cover two and a half. It's just been so weird too how NAU has
0: just quit in games, but they they were winning thirty one seventeen or thirty one fourteen over Montana State in Bozeman mm-hmm. and they lose going away going away they were in the game I mean I turned my channel off of Washington Oregon last week to. Weber State, Northern Arizona, because I was like, oh, it's 30-28, Weber State? Like, this is a slugfest. And at that moment, NAU looked great on defense. And my brother texted me, he said, NAU's scheme is good? They got players? And then they proceeded to give up 300 rushing yards from that moment on, and this was in the third quarter. And then three more rushing touchdowns. So uh, it's just so weird how NAU just fades down the stretch, but maybe that won't happen in flag. That's the one thing, is it is this is a hard game to pick, but the spread makes it almost a pick'em game. Yes. I think Portland State is the better team. I'm going to pick NAU to cover at home. Okay.
1: The total on this, by the way,
0: 75. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. NAU's giving up 39 points per game. They're scoring 37 and a half. So you're getting near 40 every time out with them, and then you look at Portland State, and they're scoring 36 and a half and giving up 25, but that is with... The NAIA, the two NAIA wins that they have in the statistical column. Listen, so
1: I love the big sky. I love the points. I love it. I'm taking the under when it's at 75. Nah, you're dumb. Okay. Over.
0: Love I shouldn't say you're dumb. But th- this is going to – I think
1: that is – I think that – I didn't accept that as I a think
0: the diagram. over is more – is easier to pick in this game than the actual spread. Um it's funny I used the word False. dumb because Jay Hill in his post game press conference after the NAU game said
1: hey listen in the big sky if you
0: take anybody for granted you're dumb you're dumb
1: <laughs> uh, Idaho State coming off a horrendous loss to Idaho uh, not even so much in the in the point of losing but in how they lost three defensive touchdowns and just looked god awful and so you sit here and they're playing Southern Utah who has not been good although they hung with UC Davis better than you might have thought last week. I know that State is a 7.5 point road favorite against Southern Utah and I guess the question is did, does Idaho State all of a sudden have real problems that they need to figure out or is it an anomaly and they bounce back and try and send a message against you know one of the one of the bottom third teams in the Big Sky Conference
0: We're, it's still so perplexing who is Idaho State yes because the, the one game that Matt Struck was out they all of a sudden look like a defensive juggernaut and they hold Northern Iowa to 13 points but they lose because Gunnar Amos was terrible through three picks before abruptly leaving the program in a 13-6 loss. But then the next week, the surprise of the week, they scored 41 points in the first half and gashed Portland State 51-24. But then the following week, they're up 17 nothing to Montana and give up a 59-3 run down the stretch. And then the following week, they hang 55 on North Dakota, who by all accounts is pretty darn good on defense. And then last week, they get ran by Idaho. So Idaho State
1: is a complete anomaly to me. Yes, they are. Yeah, I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to say that Idaho State uh, has a bit of a fire in their belly after that and right. that Struck you know, doesn't make the same dumb mistakes against Southern Utah that he made against Idaho. And again, Southern Utah, they're just not very good. Seven and a half points is always a weird number, but I will take the Bengals to cover uh, the seven and a half points on the road and Cedar City. Yeah, I don't say to win as well. Okay. The over-under on this game, by the way, the total is 61 and a half. Give me the over. 61. I don't know. 61 seems small when it's up against 75 points, which that other game was. Uh, I'll, I'll take the over on this. Yeah, I'll take the over. Because if Idaho State's going to win, they're going to score 40. Okay, Coulter, Sacramento State, the now number seven team in the uh, nation, coming off of one of the great three week runs in the history of Big Sky Conference football. And that is not hyperbole to say it. A win over number 22 Eastern Washington, a win on the road at number six Montana State, a win at home against number five Montana, and dominant. I mean, it is like 48 27, 48 22. I mean, on average, just blowout football games from Sacramento State. It's, it's still. You know, you and I sit here and talk about how good this football team is, and we've been trying to convince people how good Sacramento State is, and yet I still feel a little bit mystified of trying to convince myself that they're actually that good, that they're in fact three touchdowns better than the other three best teams in the Big Sky Conference, not including Weber State in that. And are they really that? I don't know. It's hard to say. But they have been. I mean, they've proven it now for a month, and it is remarkable. They are on the road at Cal Poly. They're a 14-and-a-half-point favorite.
0: We could talk about the weaknesses that Cal Poly might have, but we could also just wait until the game because Sac State's going to show you the weaknesses. That's been the defining factor the last three weeks is Sacramento State's ability to identify the weaknesses in defensive weaknesses of Eastern Washington, Montana State, and Montana and exploit them thoroughly and totally. It's been absolutely impressive. I think that, like you said, hard to rationalize that they actually are three touchdowns better than everybody in the league. I don't know if that's actually the case. But... The coaching's been three touchdowns better. Kevin Thompson's precision has been three touchdowns better. Mm. And the formula that they've used to win has been very, very impressive as well. Get up early and let your biggest strength, which is your pass rush, wreak havoc. If you get a team down by three scores and they have to scrap their offensive game plan and just go to the air, just like Montana State did, just like Montana did, now all of a sudden George Obina, Darren Schultz, those guys can tee off. And I think that that's been the tried and true, proven formula. Now, who takes the the other thing is they have had the element of surprise with the first year head coach and Troy Taylor. Who takes now Sacramento's body of work and exploits their weaknesses? That's the thing. Someone's gonna have to find one first because
1: they haven't shown much weakness the last three weeks. Cal Poly is uh, two, excuse me, one in three in the Big Sky Conference, two and five overall. Uh, it's a 14 and a half point spread on this one. Sacramento State is the only team undefeated against the number this season. They're 6 0. Wow. Uh, so, in the interest of you are until you aren't, I'm taking Sacramento State. But I will say this as a, for whatever it's worth, I, I would never touch, I would almost never touch a game that Cal Poly is in. Right. Because and we said that last week. it's so hard to know. You know, even though they're 1 and 3 in conference, they've lost two games by a score or less. And they're always in football games unless they get absolutely blown out. I mean, those are the way, you know... It's all about turnovers. They lose close, they lose big. They don't win that often right now. But, uh, you know, Sacramento State is so good, but again, it's all about matchups, and especially for Cal Poly execution and that triple option. So I got no idea. I'm taking Sacramento State minus the 14 and a half, but... I, I'm doing that just sort of uh, because they're so good, yes, and because they've been so good against the number, but the reality is until you can't predict what's going to happen against Cal Poly until it happens. You just cannot do it, so it's a fool's errand to me to do that, but I'll take sex state in this one anyway.
0: And every time Cal Poly turns the ball over, if the other team answers, now all of a sudden Cal Poly is going to – their style is going to beat themselves. That's what happened to them against UC Davis a couple weeks ago. Uh it's not what happened to them against Montana State when they took the Cats all the way to overtime. They're able to take care of the ball and be competitive with the number six team in the country. But with like UC Davis, their two fumbles resulted in two Davis touchdowns. And now all of a sudden, then when Cal Poly gets the ball back and they want to manufacture these 10, 11, 12 play drives, they're actually winning the game for the other team as well because they're draining the clock and they don't have the explosive ability to come back from two, three, four score deficits. So it really does come down to how they take care of the ball. That said, I think that Cal Poly has been okay but not great on defense, and their defensive secondary is definitely the weaker spot of their defense. So I think that Kevin Thompson, Sac State offense, will have a day throwing the ball. I got Sac State minus 14.5 as well. Total
1: 63 over under.
0: Man, it's tough because Sac State's been right in that 55 to 60 range. How many points does Cal Poly score against the Sac State defense? That's the other thing, though, is that Sac State's biggest strength defensively, rushing the passer, is almost negated in this game. Exactly. I'm taking the under. Even though I do think Sacramento State will be able to score points, I just don't know how many points Cal Poly is going to score or how many points
1: Sac State is going to need to score. Garbage touchdown. Gets it to 66. I'm taking the over. Uh, Weber State... UC Davis, Uh, UC Davis, a two and a half point home favorite here over the number four team in the nation, Weber State. Uh, UC Davis, by the way, in their own right, is ranked twenty second in the land. Uh, But Davis, uh, coming off of uh, consecutive wins back to back, after you know having that stretch where they lost three in a row, they got a two and a half point favorite hung on this one for Weber State. To me. I don't get this at all. I think Weaver State's really good, and I think UC Davis is good, but not really good. And I'm surprised that they're a favorite in this football game. I got Weaver State covering the two and a half points on this.
0: UC Davis has been okay, but not great against the run. Weaver State has, it's like a locomotive that continues to gain momentum. Weaver State was good running the ball early. Now they've been excellent, culminating in Josh Davis's absolutely impressive. 328 yards rushing and four touchdowns a week ago. So I think that Weaver State's gonna be able to run the ball in this game. Weaver State's defensive front is is good. Their defensive line is excellent. Their defensive front seven is good. Their secondary has been not quite as good as it has been the last couple years. That makes sense considering they had an NFL player in the Big Sky MVP in Teron Johnson two years ago in 2017. And then last year. Their secondary was the first team, all big sky secondary. They had the best DBs in the league at all the spots. So to lose those guys, of course, you're going to take a step back. Weaver's been a little bit vulnerable to teams that can throw the ball, even if like Idaho threw the ball pretty well against Weaver State, which is I thought was surprising. And I think that Jake Mayer and company will be able to throw the ball pretty effectively this week uh as well. This is all gonna be all about mitigating the pass rush. So um, I don't know, man. I don't really know why the number 4 team in the country is a dog on the road. But I, I think it comes down to the offensive skill players that UC Davis has and the fact that they're good at home.
1: I'm going to be a contrarian. I'm going to pick Davis. to. They are the favorite. I'm going to pick them to cover the number. Okay. Uh, this one seems like as easy as it gets to me. The over-under is 54. We've already... Debunk the myth that Weber State can't score points. We know that that's what UC Davis likes to do. Uh, Now, Weber purportedly has a really good defense and I think they do have a good defense but 54 points seems like a pretty low number. I'm taking the over on this thing.
0: Especially considering against Big Sky Schools, Weber State gave up 24 to Cal Poly. They gave up 35 to Idaho. They gave up 28 to Northern Arizona. You know that UC Davis is going to probably likely score more than all of those and Weber... Has scored a lot better lately. Another interesting factor in this game is Jake Mayer. When he was making his decision uh, coming out of junior college, it was between. It came down to UC Davis and Weber State. So, uh, does Jake Mayer have a little extra juice his last mm-hmm. matchup against a school he almost went to? I know that Jay Hill laments not being able to get Jake Mayer because that could have been something that put UC Davis or excuse me, put Weber State right. national championship. Right. Uh, especially considering how Jake Mayer
1: has developed, but I'm taking the over as well okay uh by the way the over there people my lock of the week okay there you go three and one on my lock of the week that's my lock of the week um montana state Coulter, on the road at north dakota a pick'em game for the uh I think it,
0: it opened at minus two so it's moved to minus two for montana state four, four UND. Okay. Me, for und okay north
1: dakota was a favorite so North Dakota opened as a favorite, a slight favorite, and now it's Montana State that has gained ground on the line, and this is now a pick'em game. I think this, I think this should be a pick'em game. I mean, to me, the way these two teams have gone so far, uh, the the line itself being pick'em, I think seems about right, particularly when it's in North Dakota in the dome. Montana State coming off a loss, but also coming off a buy. What separates Culture pure and simply. Montana State from being good to being great. Not their quarterback play. It's whether or not Troy Anderson is healthy. Period. And he has not been. He. I don't know that he is now, but he's going to be healthier than he's been. I got Montana State winning this game and thereby covering the spread, which is a pick 'em at this very moment. And uh, I like Montana State to to beat North Dakota even in Grand Forks.
0: Toughest game on the slate to pick this week. This is the one I would stay far away from. Mm.
1: It's the anti-lock of the week. the opposite of
0: that. (laughs) The (laughs) non-lock. You could talk me into any scenario. You could talk me into Montana State going to Grand Forks and rolling UND like Mm -hmm. they did two years ago when they won 49-21 and Troy Anderson had his coming out party in his first Big Sky Conference game, he rushed for 132 yards and two touchdowns, and everybody was like, oh, that kid playing linebacker who actually plays running back is pretty good. That would set the stage for him winning Big Sky Conference freshman of the year. You could also talk me to the Cats going over there and losing and w- winning a close game, a defensive slugfest. As we know, when te- when games come down to toughness, it's an advantage for Jeff Choate. When g- t- games come down to gamesmanship and schematics and adjustments and things like that, not as big of an advantage for Montana State. You could talk me into Montana State winning close. You could also talk me into North Dakota winning close in a slugfest, and you could also talk me into North Dakota blowing the doors off Montana State. Here's the thing. When you look at the schematics of this whole thing, North Dakota runs this fire zone blitzing odd man front where they're going to bring – Jeff Choate said in his press conference they blitz 35% of the time, deceiving when he's giving you that percentage because I'm, I'm thinking he's evaluating that as when they bring five or more. They run a three-man front and they bring four every time. So they're going to blitz a guy somewhere, someway, someway, somehow – whether he's off the edge, up the middle, it's a run stunt, it's a pass stunt, they're going to move up front. Two years ago when Montana State blasted them, they had Chris Murray and they were running the zone read and all their gap scheme stuff gashed North Dakota relentlessly. But North Dakota, when it lines up right for them, can stop the run as well as anybody in the conference, and then when that Occurs, then what do you do? You have to go to your drop back passing game, and that has advantaged North Dakota big time when you're talking about Tucker Rovick because he hasn't played against a defense like this that's going to bring pressure from all angles. It's like the Sam Darnold NFL mic'd up the other day when he was on Monday Night Football for the New York Jets and he said, I'm seeing ghosts. I don't know where any of the pressure is coming from. The Patriots defense, I'm seeing ghosts. North Dakota wants to make you see ghosts, and when you have an inexperienced quarterback like Tucker Rovig, who hasn't gone against this style of defense, that could spell trouble for Montana State as well. So this game is just exponentially hard for me to pick. I don't really know, because there, there's a lot of different ways that this could go. Montana State could be able to run the ball with authority, and if they can't, they're in trouble. If they can, they could run away with it. I'm not really sure. It basically comes so down to... It basically comes down to who's going to win it with the expectations that Montana it State always has.
1: comes down to who's no gonna I win
0: understand it. but like there's no him <laughs> and hot about the spread or anything like that I mean, right this is just man your analysis is just spot on they got to have Troy Anderson they got to have Isaiah Fonseca. if those guys aren't they're not going to be hundred percent they're
1: never going to be hundred percent again this year but but that's why I'm saying coming out of a bye it's it's the best you can do and so this puts them in the best position pers- but potentially that they could be, and unless they go, hey, you know what, one more... I mean, here's... I don't think this is going to happen, but there is a scenario that says, even after the bye week, they finally started to get healthy, let's just get them all the way there, don't even play. You know, I again, I don't think that's going to happen, but... We don't we never know. I mean, this is the unique part of FCS football is you don't find out until the dang ball gets kicked off, and even sometimes not even after until after that, of whether a guy is actually playing in a football game or not. Isaiah Fonse had one carry two weeks ago against Sacramento State.
0: Montana State, this game Jeff Choda's talked about defining games in the season in the program. This is the defining game of Montana State season because Mm -hmm. if they lose this game coming off a bye. It completely alters the entire narrative. Even if you think they're going to beat Southern Utah and Northern Colorado, now it puts their back against the wall where they're going to have to figure out a way how to beat UC Davis and or Montana just fulfill the playoff expectations that they have. They have to win this game. If they don't, we're going to have a completely different analysis Beauty next game. week. Yep. I'll pick Montana State to win it. And if they don't, we're going to have a whole different discussion all week next week on 2 tell Nuanas and next week on the SCS Speculators.
1: Total's 59 and a half. I'm taking the over because it's the Big Sky Conference. No other reason.
0: (laughs) It's amazing that we've evolved to the point where the teams that run the ball and play defense are still good to score 30 or 35. Yeah,
1: Like 60, like, oh, it
0: might be a low-scoring 35-31 game. I agree, I'm taking the over.
1: Last game, uh, Roots, oh, by the way, that Montana State game uh, can be seen on SWX Montana uh, television. Root Sports Game of the Week is in Missoula. Uh, noon kickoff on Saturday I at mean, noon Mountain Time. Eastern Washington at number 10 Montana. Colter, you and I just got done talking to Aaron Best, the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagles about this football game. Nothing in particular out of that. Sometimes guys will mention something or talk about an injury or something like that. There's nobody uh, particularly banged up. You did talk about earlier a couple of the guys who were covering after obviously the the awful incident of having been shot in the off season uh, in Spokane. Uh, fortunately, happily, nothing that was you know obviously fatal or even terrible in terms of their their quality of life moving forward. But they were shot, and now you've got to recover from that. They've been out of this lineup, a couple of key defensive players for Eastern Washington, kind of coming back. Where are they going to get into? But also, Eastern Washington has just been really, really up and down. They they, they played well this season. They they've lost this season. They have one of the worst losses of the year. To Idaho, I know that we've talked about the difference that the Vandals are when they're at home versus on the road. It's still a horrendous loss coming off a national championship you know, appearance last season to lose that game. The good news for East Washington is it wasn't a conference game that they played against the Vandals. They're actually 2-1 and one in the Big Sky, and their only loss is to the team that beats everybody in the Big Sky. That's Sacramento State. So, uh, you know, there's, there's still... Everything out in front of Eastern Washington. This is a rivalry game. No way, no two ways about it, Eastern Washington and Montana. Uh, and the Grizzlies obviously licking their wounds coming off of the beatdown that they got from Sacramento State. So it's amazing how much Sacramento State has influenced the narrative for, for all of these schools and just blowing up dreams uh, for, across 2,000 miles of the Western United States. So, uh, in any case, Eastern Washington is a seven and a half point underdog. Playing in Missoula against the Grizzlies,
0: and as of this morning, Wednesday morning, October twenty third, this lines actually moved to minus nine for Montana. Wow, okay. So Montana even we'll uh,
1: update that
0: a more than more than a, a touchdown and half a point favorite. The story of Eastern Washington's season has been multi layered. New coordinators on both sides of the ball, that's a huge transition no matter who you are, no matter what the status of your program, the strength of your program is. You lose 28 seniors, that's also a huge transition point. You're entering year three under a head coach who took over for a guy who was arguably one of the great recruiters and one of the great head coaches in the history of the Big Sky Conference, and Bo Baldwin, that's a huge transition point as well. And then on top of all of those things, you throw in the injury bug. And Chris Ojo, who is... Their best returning defensive player, he's not played since the second week of the se- second or third week of the season. Justice Warren, who's a grad transfer they brought in from from Washington, who they expected to play big snaps for him, he's not been healthy. They've been totally banged up at corner. There was a point in time when they were playing Trey Weed, who was a backup safety at cornerback, and in this league, that ain't going to get you anywhere. And you know, I think the most underrated part of Eastern last year. Defensively overall, but they had the linchpin. They had the big man in the middle, and JT Tooley, who was the big defensive player of the year. But they also had Delondo Tucker and Josh Lewis, who were all league corners. And those guys let them do a ton of stuff on defense. And not having those dudes, they've taken a huge drop in the secondary. They also had Zuzi Webster in the secondary, Mitch Fettig. So they had a veteran secondary last year. They don't this year. I think their biggest weakness defensively, is on the back end, and that has also then trickled into the production up front. They haven't been able to cover as well, so they haven't been able to rush the passer as well. It's all symbiotic. I think Montana's going to be able to dominate on the outside, regardless if it's Cam Humphrey or Dalton Sneed. Interesting that there's speculation and uncertainty at quarterback for Montana, yet the line is still moving in their favor. That that rarely happens. we got the guy who... As of two weeks ago, was the front runner for the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Year in Dalton right. Steed, and he he he's doubtful and probably won't play on Saturday. Yet, the line's still moving in Montana's favor. Uh, I think that the Grizz at home come an awful loss. That was the one interesting thing that Aaron Best did say. He said, "We know they're going to be mad. We know they're going to be angry." Rob Fennessy talked a couple weeks ago about awakening the sleeping giant. I think that the sleeping giant will be awake when you talk about Montana's offense, even if it is Cam Humphrey at the controls. I think that Montana will be able to throw the ball on the perimeter. That's been my analysis of the Grizz for six straight weeks. They weren't able to do it as well last week, partially because they just fell down by so many points so early and they became way more predictable. But I think they'll be able to throw the ball on the outside of that offense, and I think they'll be able to move the ball up and down the field. And on the other side, uh, it'd be interesting to see how Eric Berrier operates against Montana's multiple and confusing defense, but I think that the Grizz – I think the Grizz are going to be in good shape in this one. Easter's not as good as they have been in recent years, not as good as they've had been, quite honestly, this whole decade. So you know, I, th- I think Montana at home is going to bounce back in a big way.
1: To me, Aaron Best and Bubba Schweigert have uh, you know proved to us how good coaches you are week right now because Montana and Montana State are coming off losses that were blueprints right. about what to do. And obviously you got to have the dudes to do it. Not everybody's got Kevin Thompson playing quarterback, but Eric Berrier... <laughs> Pretty damn good totally. and and I don't you know skill position guys all that kind of stuff but the question is did I mean even Jeff Choate immediately following the loss of Sacramento State said look they found our tendencies we needed to do a self scout we're going to continue to do that and see the things that we're doing because we were clearly uh, tipping our hand essentially you know to to them and they figured it out and they got us um, so and by the way it's, the responsibility is not just on Aaron Best and, and, and Bubba Schreier. It's also on Jeff Choate and Bobby Howe to, to make the adjustments, to figure out the things that Troy Taylor and his staff figured out about you and not repeat those and not make those available. I think they will do that. I do think that the Montana Grizzly coaching staff is, uh, if they were exposed beyond just playing bad, if they were exposed where weaknesses were exploited, uh, then – then they need to be able to alter and 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 cover those things so that they can't be exploited again. And obviously that's the challenge of being a coach where Aaron Best needs to bring his team in here and see if they can find the things that 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 Sacramento State found and do that again to Montana. I'm 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 so very wary of this game because I said from the very beginning that I thought Eastern Washington was a step down team this year. I didn't think that they were going to be as good but I also didn't believe and I don't believe that they're bad. And maybe it's not even that biggest, you know, statement to say that a team that went to the national championship isn't going to be as good as they were this, you know, the next year. How hard is that to accomplish again? But, you know, I, I had them as my number five team in the big sky and they are to me still probably in that range. They have one of the best players in the country. That gets you a long ways. And when Montana, you know, we talk about Cam Humphrey, we both think Cam Humphrey's, you know, a good thrower of the football. In fact, no, he's a good thrower of the football. What kind of command is he going to have of an offense when it's his show coming in, presuming that he is the guy who's going to come in and, and and be the quarterback for this team Saturday? Uh, I think that's, that's uh, you know, an an open question. <laughs> I like Montana to win this football game at home. I know you think about the bounce back. I, I, I'm, I think I'm taking Eastern Washington against the nine points though. Interesting. I, I. Uh, so your opinion about the Grizz changed that much? They
0: were a team with no weakness
1: mm-hmm.
0: eight days ago. How is Eastern going to
1: stop Montana? Same way Sac State
0: did. <laughs> Except for that, Sacramento State has perhaps the best cover corner in the league in Darren Bland, and they Mm -hmm. have the best defensive line in the league. Eastern Washington has none of those. I think Eastern Washington, what do I always say? you got to have 10 to 12 elite players to be a Big Sky Conference title contender. I don't think Eastern's got one on defense.
1: Yeah, I just think, um, listen, Montana finally played a bad football game, Mm -hmm. coming off a bye, and... Now they don't have their quarterback. I'm I'm operating this thing presuming that it's Cam Humphrey that's going to be the guy back there, mm-hmm. and I still think that Montana's really good, really good, and I think they're going to win this football game. Mm-hmm. I think Eastern Washington coming off of, I think coming off the bye really hurt Montana. I think coming off the bye really helps Eastern. True, and and, and we don't know the status of a guy like Chris
0: Ojo who is right? who is an elite player, and he's been out, and that's one thing that mm-hmm. Eastern struggled
1: with. I mean, he, he's their dude. He is their playmaker on defense. So not having him hurts. Look, and to be honest. We already talked about uh, uh, with our in our conversation with Aaron Best, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. If you are going to ask me what staff I trust more to schematically come up and win the thing, it's the Montana Grizzly staff, no question. Right. But coming off a bye, I think adds to your ability to do that to a certain extent as a football team. It should, anyways. And I think Montana, they were playing with such unbelievable confidence, and then they didn't lose. They got, they got they got wrecked they got boat raced and and didn't like didn't they weren't they were bad but they weren't they didn't make a ton of mistakes they had a couple interceptions okay they also got they won the turnover battle they what they were up they were plus 1 turnovers in sacramento state all i'm saying is but, they got beat down by a better team that doesn't happen to montana and i'm wondering what that psychological impact will be I also
0: just wonder, I mean, where Eastern Washington, you know, they're three and four, but one win was against a Division II team and they gave up 31 points to a Division II team. Yeah. They well, Another win was against North Dakota, but that was an anomalous win only because neither team, I mean, it was sideways, sleet, slick ball. And ironically, Eastern Washington completed six passes and rushed for 300 yards and beat North Dakota. That hardly ever happens. North Dakota turned the ball over six times in that
1: game. And then their other win is against Northern Colorado. But also, what do we know? However, you've played everywhere else and against everyone else, it doesn't—it almost doesn't matter when you come to play the Grizzlies. When you go play in Washington Grizzly Stadium, one of two things happens: you wilt and fall apart and lose by fifty, or you are up for it because of the environment that you're in and the team that you're playing against. I think Easter Washington and Aaron Best will be up for the game.
0: I just don't think that they have the dudes, man. Okay. I think I think Barrier is a dude. He is. He's a dude. But like, like their receivers. They're all right. They're nowhere like they ha- always have been. I mean, you talk about the lineage. I mean, we don't even need to go through all the names. No, don't. These these Montana games just give you such a huge opportunity to just take the egg and just smash it right on your face. Because if you're just devastatingly wrong, like I was last week with Montana Sac State, you just look like an idiot. But I just truly think that Montana's going to destroy Eastern Washington. Okay. I just don't think Eastern is that good. Okay. And And, and, and and I I don't don't think it's any fault of anybody's besides the fact that I just don't think it's possible to be good when you lose 28 seniors and all your coordinators.
1: And again, I don't even, I I agree with everything you're saying. The smart play is to take Montana. I'm taking Eastern to cover. Minus nine. Uh, The over-under, 76 big ones. Oh, man. I'd pick over at 80. All right, let's do it. We're both going over on the 76. There you go. There's your Big Sky Conference. Picks against the spread. Idaho, Northern Colorado on a buy this week. Well, it's time for one of our favorite segments. Really, it's our only segment because the rest of it's just the podcast. It's four questions. This time we have three guests from around the country who cover FCS teams nationally to talk to us about the teams they cover and the games they are playing this weekend. Happy this week to be joined by Josh Criswell of the Huntsville Item. He covers Sam Houston State. They are at number 12 Central Arkansas. We will also then be joined by Greg Medea of the Daily News Record in Virginia, who covers the number two team in the land, James Madison University, as they host Towson. And finally, Sam Herter from Hero Sports. Covers the FCS nationally, broadly, but particularly NDSU, his alma mater, and the Game of the Weekend College Game Day. Going to be in Brookings, South Dakota as SDSU, the number three team in the nation, hosts North Dakota State. We will ask all three of these guys the same four questions. They'll answer all of them, and hopefully you will have a little more information for your sports interests heading into the weekend. Question number one. What do people need to know about the team that you cover? Question number two. How do these two teams match up? The team that you cover against whoever it is they're playing against this weekend. Question number three. What is the coaching style and system of the football team that you cover? Of course, we want to know. They're going to go fast and furious. They're going to slow it down, play defense. That's all very important. And lastly, question number four. What do we need to know about this matchup? Guys who are injured, guys who are suspended. What's the weather going to be like? All the things that go into the game. There's the four questions. And of course, all three of these guys will... Also make their picks against the spread and against the total as well. All three of these guys been on the show before. We're happy to welcome them back once again. We start off with Josh Chriswell of the Huntsville Item covering Sam Houston State.
4: Sam Houston State, you know, if if they can pick up a win this week, it's definitely a turning point in their season. The Bearcats started off Southland Conference play three and zero, then suffered an upset loss to Lamar in triple overtime, but last week. They bounce back stronger than ever, shut out number nine nickels 17 to zero. I mean, the Sam Houston State defense at this point in the year, I, have, I said it last week that they might be the best defense in the country. I'm convinced after seeing them completely shut down a top 10 team last week here in Huntsville that they have the best defense in the country. Now, over the other side of the ball, Central Arkansas is a team who, just like the Bearcats, come into this game, and if they win it, they control their destiny the rest of the way in the Southland Conference. The UCA Bears, they kind of they, they got up to a strong start, upset an FBS team in Western Kentucky the first week of the season. And they have a guy in Braylon Smith kind of flying under the radar, but maybe the best quarterback in the Southland Conference. And that's quite a statement because Chase Forkate at Nichols took home player of the year last year. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup. You know, St. Houston State, what they've been best at is stopping the run. Number three at the, in the country at it, by far the top in the Southland Conference. And They haven't been suspects by any means in the secondary, but if you're going to attack them, it seems like that's the area where you're going to have to do it, which kind of plays right into Central Arkansas' hands. Central Arkansas doesn't have that strong of a running game. They, like I mentioned, they rely very heavily on Braylon Smith, the quarterback. So the, the matchup to watch, I think, is going to be that San Houston State defensive front. Do they contain Braylon Smith? Or is Braylon Smith able to get out of the pocket, kind of make some plays happen with his arm or his leg, and really make a really close contest out of this one? Yeah, so Sam Houston State's in a bit of a tough situation. They have five scholarship quarterbacks. All five are dealing with some sort of injury. One of those guys, Ty Brock, he's going to go out there and in all likelihood get the starting QB reps. But he's going to rotate in with a couple other guys. What they did last week that kind of shocked Nichols won't be so much of a surprise this week. But they rotated in the guy Ryan Humphreys, and then they also rotated in true freshman wide receiver Noah Smith. Noah Smith was in there, and they would rotate these guys in a quarterback. This isn't rotating them in for single drives at a time. They would put out Ty Brock for two or three plays, put in Ryan Humphreys for four, put in Noah Smith for a couple. So they're that, You can expect them to kind of constantly want to change things up, keep the defense on their toes to kind of make up for some of those injuries at that position i mean starting quarterback eric schmidt passed for over 500 yards and five touchdowns in the conference opener he's not going to be available for at least another week or two so they're going to have to kind of do some interesting things the one thing they also have working in their favor didn't record a catch for the first time in his career last week but nathan stewart at wide receiver a senior one of the best in the country one of the most decorated in sds history so if he can get going they do have the potential to kind of and they want to play up tempo, get him the ball, and kind of make some plays early. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you have to be aware of heading into it is that this is probably, or not even probably, this is the biggest game left on the schedule for either of these two teams. As I mentioned, the winner is going to be you know on top of the Southland or in position to run the table and claim that conference championship and automatic bid to the postseason. For Sam Houston State, it's huge because they win this game it means not only will they be in first place in the conference, but they'll have tiebreakers over their three threats to that number one spot. Yeah, you know, one-and-a-half-point favorite, I have to go with Sam Houston State in this one. You know, even though Central Arkansas is the higher-rated team, they've struggled a good bit since Southland Conference play got going. Two of their three conference wins were in games where they only won by one point against teams that haven't been that good. One of them's Abilene Christian, a team that's right around 500. Then the other one was last week. I mean, they only beat Northwestern State, who hadn't won a game all year, has lost to a Division II team. Only won that one by one point. Sam Houston State coming in with a ton of momentum. I think that they're going to win this one and win this one by potentially a touchdown or more. And then as far as the over-under goes, i got to go with the under. Central Arkansas putting up over thirty five, over 30 points a game in conference play. But the Sam Houston State defense, combined with their offense not being at 100% health-wise, I think that's going to keep the score down. Probably end up somewhere around the mid-30s range in points, if I had to guess.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Josh. And now we go to Greg Medea. He works for the Daily News Record in Virginia, covering James Madison University. James Madison hosting Towson. Four questions for Greg Medea.
5: Yeah, I think with the Dukes, it starts with their defense. It's really been a strong part of the team the past couple of years, but you're starting to see it grow into the unit that it was when it made championship runs in 2016 and back to the championship game in 2017. They have a new defensive coordinator this year, Corey Heatherman, stepped in, and it took the the guys on defense a little bit of time to learn what he's all about, and that's an aggressive, blitzing style of defense. I think they've done a little more blitzing the past couple of weeks but you look in the uptick in production when it comes to getting to the quarterback is undeniable over the last couple of weeks. The last four weeks, JMU has 17 sacks, and that's compared to the first four weeks of the season when JMU only had four sacks through four weeks. So 17 over the last four weeks has really been an impressive number, and you're starting to see guys get more comfortable, led by Rondell Carter and John Daka, two senior defensive ends who are just having a race to see who can get to the quarterback first daca has has been in the backfield just about every week you look at what he did uh this past saturday at william and mary and and he had a sack to begin the game and then rondell carter kind of cleaned up cleaned up the rest of the day he had a sack and also six tackles for loss against the tribe last week so that defensive line and that defense really starting to put pressure on the quarterback yeah it's interesting with with the defense uh, the defense for JMU against the offense for Towson, I think. You look at Towson, led by quarterback Tom Flacco, the younger brother of NFL quarterback Joe Flacco. And what Tom Flacco does really well is throw it from the pocket or take off and run or throw it on the run. So he does a lot of different things very, very well. And I think that gives JMU's defense some concern and some reason to be on edge for, for Saturday's game. I mentioned Carter and DACA. Those two have to be very disciplined this week when it comes to Towson and what they want to do with the ball because they, everything runs through Tom Flacco. And if those guys fly up the field, Flacco will make him play, play with their with his legs. And then if he, he sits in the pocket, has too much time, he'll find his receiver. He threw six touchdown passes last week against Bucknell, including five to the wide receiver, Shane Leatherberry. And I think Leatherberry's a tough matchup because he plays that slot. He's got excellent speed. And there are a few times this year where JMU has struggled to cover those slot receivers. And so that'll be big pressure on Wayne Davis to spur kind of the hybrid outside linebacker safety in terms of covering a slot receiver. So I think those two things, JMU's defense against Towson's offense is what to watch. I think JMU's offense, when they have the ball, when the Dukes have the football, probably a big step up from what Towson does defensively. And I think JMU will be able to run the ball as they want to on Saturday. Yeah, it, 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 it's that. It's run the football and play, play defense for sure. Kurt Signetti has preached that he wants to not only lead the Colonial Athletic Association in rushing, but also lead the country in rushing. And there have been multiple games, I think it's three times already, where JMU has rushed for 300 or more yards in a game, including back-to-back weeks uh, against Elon. And then uh, I, I, the following week when JMU, I'm drawing a blank here, when JMU went to Stony, Brook back-to-back weeks of 300 rushing yard games. So if, if you're JMU, if you can run the football, they're going to do it. They have a, a couple of different backs that they use. Solomon Van Horst, Latrell Palmer, Jawan Hamilton, and Percy Ajay Obese. They'll rotate those guys in and out and play behind that big offensive line uh, that they like to run behind. Yeah, I think, I think one really important thing is Jamie's starting to get a little healthier. They've dealt with a bunch of secondary injuries. Uh, over the last month or so, particularly to Rashad Robinson. He, he returned uh, two weeks ago against Villanova, then played last week, and he's starting to look more like himself Was in and out of the lineup there for about three, four weeks in a row, from about week two to week five. He's starting to play really well and get back to that All-American level that he was in 2017 before he missed all of last year with an injury. So I, I think that's a big, important thing to know if you're looking at the Dukes. Uh, and then it, it, with Towson, I think, when you, what you need to know about Towson is they're, they're starting to figure out how to play without Shane Simpson, their outstanding running back who they lost earlier in the year to injury. I think it took them a little while. I know I talked to Rob Ambrose this week, and, and he told me basically, yeah, it took a little bit of time. They had a good plan that first week, but after that, you, you start to get down and you, you worry about your depth a little bit after you lose one. So it, it, it's been an interesting thing, but I think Towson's starting to figure it out. Of course, it, it all starts with Flacco, too. Uh, so that's kind of what you need to know, especially uh, when you're when you're when you're trying to decide and, and look at the injury stuff. Yeah, I, I think JMU's covered in all but one game this year, and that was the Stony Brook game. So I I would you know if, if you're looking at the Duke, you, you probably don't want to bet against them in terms of covering Uh 58 probably about right. JMU's blown out some people, but they also ease up on the gas a little bit toward the end of the game and and kind of just let let their backups play. So I don't know, maybe that's a bit high. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you're looking at whether or not, JMU you can cover, they've, they've done it this year uh, more often than not. At Medea underscore DNR sports on Twitter. And then you can read everything on the, on the Duke on dnronline.com, the daily news record.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Greg. And finally, Sam Herder of Hero Sports helping us preview number one, North Dakota State, at number three, South Dakota State, the game of the weekend. Four questions for Sam Herder.
3: Yeah, I mean, these are two teams that obviously know each other quite well. And, you know, they, they, they play each other every season, but they, it also seems like they're playing each other every other year uh, in, the, uh, in the FCS playoffs. So, you know, it's two teams that they... They kind of mirror each other in, in, in style of play. They're they're both pretty balanced on offense. Both play really tough defense. And you know, it, it's one of those things where they're not gonna you know pull out a whole lot of tricks. It seems like South Dakota State will, will pull out a trick play maybe once or twice in this game, but for the most part, both of these teams know what 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 the what the opponent is gonna do. They they, they scout each other out very well. They scheme each other up very well. So it's one of those things where you know whoever executes the game plan better uh, usually comes out on top yeah it's it's going to be you know a a good matchup in the sense that uh you know both both defenses in in the front seven i think are, are really really good and you know i think i give ndsu the the edge in the secondary and then on offense the bison have the better offensive line but south Dakota state has the better weapons and so for me i think it comes down to the to the quarterback play uh, and and that's two retro freshmen, Trey Lance for NDSU and Jabori Gibbs for South Dakota State. And to me, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how much. <coughs> excuse me, it's going to be interesting to see how much the coaching staff puts on these two young quarterbacks, and if you know they're going to let Trey Lance, uh, you know, let the ball fly a little bit. If they're going to run Jabari Gibbs quite a bit for South Dakota State and let him fly, and let him throw the ball around, or you know, if they're going to be pretty, you know, basic and standard in their game plans and not you know put too much on these young guys' shoulders that that's what i are really interested to see because i think you know for the most part these two teams stack up pretty well uh with each other it's just a matter of uh which quarterback has the better has the better game south dakota state is is probably more of uh a, a team that's going to throw some wild stuff out there in this game uh you know they usually do stick to their bread and butter but you know with jason Eck the offensive coordinator he's a guy that he really designed some some you know interesting looking plays and they might pull some stuff out on, uh, that they haven't shown on film yet and uh, and with ndsu you know it seems in this season compared to past years they, they rolled the dice a little bit more they've they've gone for a two point conversion in just about every game this season and honestly i i can't i could not remember the last time the bison have gone for a two point conversion in, in previous season so you know the the Jackrabbit coaching staff. They they have uh, two new coordinators, uh, but for the most part, the, the head coach state has stayed the same. and you know, all the assistants have stayed the same. For NDSU, it's a new look coaching staff with Matt with Matt Entz as the head coach, and they also have two new coordinators. So it, it seems like the the new coordinators, especially offensively, um, you know, maybe are a little bit more tricky to offend and and pull some stuff out. And you know, maybe are. Are willing to take take a little bit more risk than, than in years past. And I know NDSU pulled out a flea flicker in the last couple of weeks. You know we haven't seen that from the team very often, so it seems like these teams um, maybe are getting a little more creative in, in their playbook to get some more points on the board. Yeah, you know the, the weather looks like it's it's going to be fine. Um, I don't believe there are any key injuries uh, to players. Uh, the one thing that I do think uh, is important to note, obviously, is College Game Day being in town in Brookings, and and we'll see if if that is a distraction at all, if that causes maybe a slow start for the Jackrabbits. You know, I know when when game day was in Fargo at North Dakota State, the Bison blew out their opponent just because the opponent wasn't that good. Well, for the Jackrabbits, you know, they have to stay focused on the task at hand. And, you know, this is a team, you know, South Dakota State, I, I love covering them and they're a fun team to, to cover. And the coaches are great to talk to, but they've kind of been known to when they're, when they are on, on a big stage, they don't, have that great of performances. Last year in the semifinals, they got whooped by North Dakota State. Two years ago in the semifinals, they got whooped by James Madison. So they kind of have the tendency to, you know, not play their best when they're on a big stage. And we'll see if that's the case on Saturday with college game day and all the hoopla going on around campus this week. Yeah, I I think the over on the total points, I think it will hit the over. Um, It seems like these two teams are, um, you know, are going to do whatever they can to dial up some big plays and hit some big plays for some points. You know, the spread. I, I do think NDSU is going to win um, because you know, like I said, I think they have the edge in quarterback play there, and that might be the difference. I just don't know if I like that. That four points. It feels like it could be anywhere from a three-point game to a ten-point game to a one-point game. It's going to be such a toss-up where. You know, i wouldn't feel overly comfortable taking ndsu by 4 points but you know in in a in a, in the money line sort of thing I, I would pick ndsu there
1: great thank you sam our thanks to all three of the guys for joining us giving us the predictions and the previews of these three fcs games of the week colter now it's your turn along with mine to uh, get a shot of these let's start back at the top with sam houston state heading to central arkansas sam houston back into the top 25 at number 21 after their shutout last week an impressive defensive performance we heard josh Criswell liking sam houston to cover the one and a half point spread in this game on the road at central arkansas
0: Southland's been all over the place this year just in terms of who can become the dominant team. Central Arkansas was in the top 15 for a while, but they've not played as well in recent weeks. Sam Houston State started in the top 20. They fell out of the top 25. Now they're back at number 21. Josh Griswold said two weeks ago he thought they had the best defense in the country. They showed that shutting out the number nine team in the country last week in Nichols. And Nichols is good offensively. We watched them last year against Eastern Washington, they have great athletes. So I think Sam Houston State's defense is the real deal, and I think Sam Houston State will cover that game and win that game straight up.
1: Okay, uh, I am not going to argue with that. Look, man, I'm a big defensive guy. I love defense. Sam Houston State plays good defense as anybody. So uh, I'm with you on this one. I like I like Sam Houston uh, to uh, to win and to cover that thing.
2: It's worth noting that the home team has won this game, the last three times these teams have met, and Sam Houston State hasn't been a ranked team on the road since 2015. That is worth noting. UCA is number
1: 12. It all changes this Saturday. Market. All right, second matchup of the FCS uh, weekend. Towson, number 16 team in the nation at James Madison. James Madison, a 16.5 point home favorite. We know how good James Madison has been. We know North Dakota State's been the number one team. James Madison has been the number two team in the nation uh, other you know outside of North Dakota State over these past probably five years, including the one team that's won a national championship that wasn't the Bison in the last eight years or whatever it is. So uh, it's a very, very good football team. I'm surprised, though, man. Towson's really good. You got a guy named Flacco playing quarterback over there. They're the number 16 team in the nation. And it's a big number, 16 and a half points. We heard Greg Medea. Say, uh, I mean, he was talking about you know. Well, we we'll see when the when the backups get put in towards the end of this game. Uh, he's you know seemed to be very confident, like taking J- James Madison. And again, he as he said, six. They are six one and one officially against the spread uh, this year. So it's hard to go against the Dukes that way. Uh, if it was gonna happen, I guess I would like to think the Towson at plus sixteen and a half could at least keep this thing like a two score game.
0: And Towson's been really good in big games until they lost a game that they weren't supposed to lose. I mean, Towson won at the Citadel. The Citadel put itself back on the mark and broke in the top 25 last week with their big win over Furman. And they took Towson, took Willanova to overtime and only lost by a touchdown in that game. But then they fall to Albany two weeks ago. Bounced back last week with a huge win over Bucknell. But I'm just still not sure about Towson. They got a good quarterback, but James Madison. North Dakota State has the best tradition, the best program, the best system, the best winning formula of anybody in the country. James Madison's got the best athletes. They get all the drop-downs from that whole neck of the woods. We talked earlier about that region. In In Virginia. In in the Virginia, the seven cities as they call it. James Madison gets a ton of those guys. I just think James Madison is – favorite in every game they play, and I don't really care what the number is. I, I trust the number. I'm taking James Madison to cover and to win.
1: Great. Uh, I got James Madison winning, no doubt. I got Towson covering this game. Give me Towson at plus 16 and a half uh, in this one. I came available on F M-A-S-N two if you're looking for it. By the way, Sam Houston at Central Arkansas, ESPN plus. All right. Coulter, the game of the weekend. ESPN, College Game Day in Brookings, South Dakota. Are they at this point in the, in the tenure of that? television show just looking for a new state to check off the list so that they could say oh we've been to the I mean how are they going to get to our, uh, Alaska you know what I mean how are they going to get up there to the AK but they are going through South Dakota they're previewing uh, an FCS game and it is a great one it's South Dakota State North Dakota State the obvious other two three of the three best when you include James Madison in there uh, this is as close a spread as you're ever going to see the North Dakota State's going to be playing in uh, a you know with an FCS opponent on the road this game again in Brookings and the homestanding Jackrabbits a four and a half point underdog against North Dakota State uh, which is a lot like being a hundred point favorite against everybody else in the nation <laughs> if you're only four and a half point dog to North Dakota State this game is hugely intriguing to me I, am, I, I can't wait to watch this game to see what happens I think North Dakota State comes in with such a reputation obviously that you sit here and you go well you know it is until it ain't right i mean we've been saying this but like un- until you lose or until you don't cover the spread you're just uh you know you're just the best team that there is and i certainly do feel that way about north dakota state but i do think like look this has never happened we were we're going to witness history on saturday when college game day you know goes to uh, brookings and unlike having it in you know philadelphia where it's been before or even places where it is a true college town tallahassee you know, Tuscaloosa, whatever. This never happens. In fact, this has never happened in Brookings. This is going to be an event that will be a statewide massive event massive deal and to me that goes one of two ways either it just crushes your football team under the pressure of it and the excitement of it not to mention the opponent you're playing or they just rise up and have have the game of games for South Dakota State I'm not sure which way to go with this this game to me could go really any way and it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Jackrabbits won also wouldn't surprise me if they lost by 25.
0: The, the actual matchup's fascinating. The dynamic of the matchup's fascinating as well. I mean, the the fact that Brookings is such an outpost is definitely, certainly worth noting. I mean, the College Game Day has been to FCS schools before, but Brookings, South Dakota is... I mean, Fargo is a Fargo, North Dakota is a gigantic metropolis compared to Brookings, South Dakota. I mean right. Pro, Brookings, South Dakota's population twenty two thousand. So this will certainly be one of the biggest events of any sort in the history of the town. Unquestioned, Unquestion. unquestionable. Uh, so just how? Want to go, man? We've got we better start driving right now. Wednesday afternoon. Take us. <laughs> take us days to get yeah, there. Yeah, so it's a hike. Uh, I think we got one seven miles away that's gonna be pretty darn good. It here will in, be in yeah, it's a fair point Uh but either way. How does does South Dakota State feed off the atmosphere? I mean, this is the chance for them to really display their school to the nation and all the way around. I mean, they have new facilities, they got a brand new stadium, they have an indoor practice facility. This is a school that was division two. As of 2007. So they have a real chance to put their school on the map, their program on the map, everything. But how do they handle that pressure? Do they embrace it or do they wilt in front of it? And the fact that you're playing a team that's won seven of the last eight national championships doesn't get uh, any tougher than that. Christian Roseboom, the inside linebacker for South Dakota State. I think he's been the best inside linebacker in the country since he was a freshman. No offense to Dante Olsen, he's been. It's insanely productive, but Christian Roseboom is the best NFL prospect of linebackers in the United States of America that plays at the FCS level. And he had an interview all about North Dakota State, what this game means to him, because the Jackrabbits, they have actually, of North Dakota State's eight losses during this stretch, South Dakota State has three of them. They have gone toe-to-toe with NDSU. So I think that the fact that it's at home, too, it makes this, to me, almost a pick game. Mm. It's so hard to pick against NDSU, though.
1: Yes, it is. And
0: I, just, I think that the number is just spot-on. Because you're talking about, I mean, I really do think it's going to come down to less than a score. Both teams have new quarterbacks that are fresh faces for the program. I think Trey Lance, the North Dakota State kid, Trey Lance, excuse me, the North Dakota
1: State kid, is the better of the two. Uh, I got North Dakota State. I am going to take South Dakota State to cover that number four and a half points. Mm. Uh, it's a, a a great matchup to me. And again, North Dakota State, they are the best team in the nation. And if this was a Pickham game in terms of who's going to win it, I got North Dakota State winning this thing. But like you said, I think this could be a one-score game. Well, if it's a one-score game, you uh, you're doing well to take four and a half points. And so I'm going to do that with South Dakota State, just from a betting standpoint. I also would love this man, as dominant as North Dakota State has been. It's like when's somebody going to knock them off? Like really knock them off? And just because they they've lost a couple games in the regular season, you, you know, mean like not like whip them? No, or no, just no, like no, knock them no, on their no, perch? no, just knock them off. I guess the point is is when are when is either North Dakota State as a program or a couple of other programs going to reach that level where you are peer esque? Right. South Dakota State is getting there. They're not there, but they are headed in that direction. Let's put it like this. The gap between North Dakota State and South Dakota State has closed considerably in the last five years. And so this would be a huge step to that, and I think that would make it more interesting if it wasn't just quote unquote such a sure thing that North Dakota State was going to win everything and I think this is an opportunity to do just that. That said I think the weight of expectations and all of the the media attention and the hype around this game that's a lot for a home team to bear especially when you're an underdog in a football game so it could go the exact other, opposite direction but I'll take South Dakota State to to rise up on that wave of energy and excitement and play a great game on, on Saturday and, and play them close and thereby cover this football game even if they don't win it uh, also, it should be pointed out the the, the facility that they have there in Brookings, very nice. The field is awesome with the yellow and blue patchwork, and I think that the facilities surrounding it are also nice, which were brought to fruition while wow. current Montana State. Uh, uh, Athletic, athletic director leon Costello was there in, in the capacity as the ad and others. so uh it's you know a little he should, would certainly i think be taking a little eye and looking at this game from grand forks as well uh just to see how things look on a on a national level on game day on saturday morning
0: i think you nailed it i mean the, the whole the number one factor of why sdsu can and will be in this game is they're the least scared of north dakota mm. state of any team in the country. Because they've gone toe-to-toe with
1: them before. Right. Uh, the number 47, low-scoring game, all things considered. That would be expected to an extent with North Dakota State because of the way that they play defense. But South Dakota State is an outstanding offense, which, again, mitigates against what I normally would do, which would be decide with the defense. Uh, but 47, that seems a little low to me. I'm going to take the over in this football game.
0: Was I with you or was I with Jason on my when we were listening to South Dakota State, North Dakota State in the playoffs last year? I think I was with Jason yeah. on the way to eastern Washington. You were. These games are always low scoring because that's that's the I don't know for whatever reason South Dakota State has been lured into that North Dakota State quote unquote trap but has been able to still compete. In those sorts of games, I'm taking the under.
1: Okay, last one. We got to do this in the FCS level. This is uh, so exciting. You're never going to hear anything more about this game anywhere else because you're never going to hear anything about this game anywhere else. Slippery Rock, a 24 and a half point home favorite over Clarion. This is available on WPNT in Pittsburgh and ESPN. Th- thank you, God, for ESPN. I mean,. You know, they're playing for a milk jug. I've heard about Standing Rock, so I'm going to go with Slippery Rock. (laughs) Does that make
0: sense? (laughs) These guys play for the Milk Jug trophy over the last nine years. The trophy was introduced to the series in 2010 as an added incentive for the two schools that are separated by just 46 miles. So, this is a rivalry game of sorts. The Western PA trophy was donated by Clarion employee Chad Thomas. Who painted half of the jug white with a green S and the other half gold with a blue C? <laughs> Slippery Rock won the first six meetings after the trophy was introduced and is eight and one in milk jug well, games. There you go. I gotta move into nine and one. What great! Information. But twenty four and a
1: half—it's a big number. It's a big number. Uh, I, I I trust. I trust. Yes. The spread. Go get. Go get it. All right. It's time to do. Rapid Fire, FBS, the three biggest FBS games of the year. For that, we bring David back into the show. David, set it up for us. Rapid Fire, what do we got? FBS games against the spread this weekend.
2: All right, we got the three biggest games of the weekend, three of the only ranked versus ranked opponents. Michigan is a one-point underdog at home against Notre Dame. Who do you got?
1: Uh, this is a uh, a traditional rivalry game. The rivalry was kind of set aside. It was started again. Um I got Notre Dame winning this football game. Michigan being a home dog, it's just one point though. So, uh, and I think Michigan. I mean, I'm I'm just kind of out on the Wolverines, man. And Notre Dame, they're okay. I mean, you know, I don't I don't love I don't love either of these teams, frankly. But I'll, I'll take the Wolverines to lose. I'll take Notre Dame to cover.
0: Jim Harbaugh to the NFL. Jim Harbaugh to who? The Falcons, maybe. We'll see. All the scuttle's already starting. When the seat's as red hot as it is and people are talking about you going back to where you came from, it's never good from a distraction standpoint, especially when you are one of the faces of the game, honestly, in yep. Jim Harbaugh. And the is sort of on the wall. As David points out here, they've never won a game as a betting underdog under Jim Harbaugh. They will not again. Ian Book and the Golden Dome going to win at the big house. Okay.
2: All right. That's on ABC at 530 Mountain Time. Next game, we got number 9 Auburn at number 2 LSU. Uh, LSU is a ten and a half point
1: favorite. Mm. I believe Joe Burrow entered the season as a uh, 250 to one Heisman Trophy candidate. 250 or 201. Uh, looking pretty good now if you got in on that action early. Give me LSU. You know I love LSU, especially at home. Uh, now, they're coming off a huge, huge win last weekend against Florida. But look, man, it's the SEC. This is what you do. It's Florida. It's Auburn. It's Bama. That's, it's the road that you are on. They so played Mississippi I, State last week. Oh, yeah, week. that's right. The, the Mississippi State last week with their last home game two weeks ago, correct, uh, against uh, uh, Florida. I got LSU. Ten and a half points doesn't bother me at all. I mean, the way this team's going, they're always great on defense. The fact that they are shredding on offense makes them, to me, the scariest team in the nation right now.
0: I'm sure the LSU fans are both surprised and probably pleasantly surprised at what they're seeing because LSU's been ground and pound for days. Pleasantly
1: surprised? They're grilling Gators, man. They're they're doing everything in the bayou right I just now. I mean, in terms of
0: the schematic differences, because LSU, LSU is no stranger to the top five lsu's no stranger to winning at an elite level they are strangers to throwing the ball around the yard yes, they've been they doing are. this with running backs and corners right. for years and years
1: and i mean years nobody and even years. cares that a guy named fournette quit the team <laughs> that's how good they're going and right now, now they're
0: straight up throwing the ball over the place joe burrows has been a revelation it's joe run, burrow joe burrow has been a revelation more spread concepts than they've ever seen before that said They're about to face the best pass rush, not only in the conference, in the country. I think LSU will win this game, but I think Auburn's going to cover that spread.
1: Give Coulter the 10.5 points. I'll weigh them, and we uh, go against each other against the number on this. one thirty p.m. Mountain Standard Time on CBS Television. All
2: right, last game, number 13, Wisconsin at number 3, Ohio State. Ohio State is a a 14.5-point favorite. This one is early in the morning. 10 a.m. Mountain Time on Fox. Wisconsin was upset at Illinois last week. Perhaps were they looking
1: ahead? The best thing that could have happened for Wisconsin to pull the upset this week is being upset last week. And it sucks for them because no matter what happens, even if they win this game, they're out because of that loss to Illinois. They are. But there's certainly no chance for them to be anything at all if they don't win this football game. That said, Ohio State is maybe right there with LSU, it's the most dangerous team in the country. I mean, they are absolutely just destroying people right now. 14.5-point favorite, though, against a Mad Badger team that runs the football. Give me the Wisconsin Badgers to go to the horseshoe and cover the 14 and a half. I've
0: watched Ohio State more than any of the Power 5 teams cuz my roommates from Ohio, he loves
1: he ha- he loves only them some wears buckets. an Ohio State blanket. <laughs> it's all It's his only it's an old wardrobe. <laughs>
0: with an Ohio State sweatshirt and Ohio State shorts underneath. Yeah. Yes. So, Ohio State is on at our house on Saturdays always. And so I've seen them a lot. So, I might have a little bit of proximity bias, but I do think that Ohio State is the first team I've seen in a little while where I could see them competing with Clemson and Alabama actually being able to go toe-to-toe with those two teams because not only do they have an absolutely electric playmaker in Justin Fields at quarterback but their defense is absolutely lights out and Chase Young might be the best he might be the best player in the country I mean he he, he is out unbelievable his physical gifts and his physical domination I think Ohio State's going to roll in this game okay.
1: I, I got the Buckeyes to cover easily Boys and girls, this has been FCS Speculators of Betting Podcast, Episode 5. Thanks for joining us. We think you're all great. See you next week.